0: It is Midday Magazine for Thursday, September 14th. I'm Hannah Floor. Representative Mary Peltola's office has announced the death of her husband, Jean Peltola Jr., who died after a plane crash on Tuesday night. The National Transportation Safety Board says that he was the pilot and sole occupant of a Piper Super Cub that went down west of the Yukon River village of St. Mary's at about 8.45 p.m. Peltola could always be found behind the scenes as his wife campaigned to become the first Alaska Native woman to serve in Congress. But Peltola, who was known by his nickname Buzzy, was a trailblazer in his own right. Peltola worked for more than three decades for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service in Bethel, eventually to become the first Alaska Native to oversee the Yukon Delta National Wildlife Refuge. Later, he served as regional director for the Bureau of Indian Affairs in Alaska. Through much of his career, he advocated for subsistence hunting and fishing. Lamont Albertson, one of the founders of the Kuskokwim River Intertribal Fish Commission, worked with Paltola to protect salmon and the region's subsistence lifestyle. Albertson says he used his power to help Alaska Natives across the sta- state.
1: He was one of the first people who had a responsible position who favored the Yupik way of doing things on the Kuskokwim River. Everybody liked him. I can't think of a single person that disliked him except the people that were above him.
0: Albertson says he admired Peltola because he was never afraid to speak truth to power and sometimes pushed back against federal and state bureaucrats who made decisions that adversely affected the ability of Alaska Natives to harvest wild foods. He said Peltola was also charming and persuasive and helped to bring about positive change in Alaska Fish and Wildlife Management.
1: It's just hard to find the words to describe his intelligence and how intuitive the guy was. He was assertive and he knew how to say the right things at the right time."
0: Albertson believes he got some of those traits from his father, Gene Peltola Sr., a prominent native leader who served as president of the Association of Village Council Presidents and CEO of the Yukon Kuskokwim Health Corporation. Albertson says his son Buzzy grew up understanding power and how to use it wisely and was the perfect political partner for his wife, Mary. Representative Mary Peltola's chief of staff, Anton McFarland, describes Buzzy Peltola as a devoted family man and one of those people who is, quote, obnoxiously good at everything. He said Mary Peltola is flying back to the state to be with her family and asks that people give them space to grieve in privacy. Petersburg's municipal election is on the horizon and four candidates are running for two seats on the borough assembly. KFSK's Shelby Herbert spoke to new candidate Rob Schwartz and returning candidate Jay Stanton-Gregor about their perspective, visions for the assembly.
2: Both Jay Stanton-Gregor and Rob Schwartz say they're reluctant candidates for the highest office on the ballot this October, Stanton Greger lost his assembly seat last year, and he says he was still licking his wounds when people in the community started asking him to run again.
3: I got asked that a lot over the course of the last year, and when people would ask me that in November and December, I'd get a little salty with them. I'm like, it's just ended. Come on, give me a little bit of space here.
2: Eventually... His supporters wore him down.
3: Over the course of the summer, uh, lots of folks reached out, and we had been down in Montana visiting some family here over the last three weeks, and we got back on Saturday, and uh, when we landed that day on the milk run, I, a whole bunch of texts because, you know, the filing deadline was on Tuesday, and, uh, so, yeah, I was, I was honored that some people I respect a great deal were asking me, encouraging me to run, and uh, in the end, I decided I might as well.
2: Stanton-Gregor says the other primary motivating factor is his desire to maintain the quality of life for families in Petersburg.
3: I feel very lucky that my kids can go to school here. With my role on the assembly it, um, helps give a voice to a lot of families who also care deeply about you know, the education of our children and the importance of good health care.
2: Rob Schwartz says he doesn't feel naturally inclined to politics, but he has his finger on the community's pulse. He says he's stepping up on behalf of all the folks he runs into as he goes about his daily business.
1: The gals asked me, well, how are you going to run a campaign? I said, well, what are you talking about? I said, I what go through my day and it's a campaign. You know, going to Napa, I'm talking to fishermen on ABCD flow. People are asking me questions. I think there's a segment of, of people in town that have a lot of questions. Are they being listened to? Or are they being heard?
2: Some of those questions he hears are about Petersburg's infrastructure.
1: They have some concerns about our sewer, our water, you know, and so forth. When you're looking at the wants and the needs that we have, strong hospital, strong medical care, schools, the the infrastructure of our town, can we budget that out? Can we look at the budget really closely? And the people want input on that.
2: One big budgeting question ahead of the assembly is how the borough should support the school district. This summer, the borough increased its funding to local schools for the first time in 20 years. This followed line-item budget cuts from the state, which administrators say threaten their ability to operate normally. Schwartz coached wrestling and taught social studies for decades in the Petersburg School District. He doesn't have a definitive solution to its financial woes, but he says he wants to keep the line of communication with school administrators open.
1: People are getting, they're moving in here, right, from the lower 48 because they want to get away from chaos. I've talked to a lot of them. And one of the things that will be attractive to them about Petersburg is the school system. So how do we fund the schools and then who budgets that out?
2: Stanton Greger stood fast in his support for helping to fund the school district.
1: You know, we've had
3: such a great local public school district for so many years and being able to really you know, fund that the way it needs to be funded to have a really, you know, generations of well-educated kids in our community.
2: Stanton Greger also made clear his support of the borough's controversial project to build a new hospital. According to Petersburg Medical Center CEO Phil Hofstetter, the old one is quickly falling out of code.
3: I... Strongly support uh, what Phil Hofstetter and the hospital board and the assembly have been doing in terms of moving that forward because without a fully functional hospital, we don't have a fully functional community.
2: Schwartz is more skeptical of the project and of the hospital's communication with the rest of the borough. He says he feels like trust was broken during the COVID-19 pandemic.
1: Why can't we have an open forum about that and ask about it? Well, the meetings were open. Well, they weren't for a while under COVID, you know, and eventually people kind of shrug. But um, there's a lot of questions I think could be clarified. You know, schedule it while, where people are in town and not out fishing. It might help build some trust. You know, if they they look up and what do you mean $100 million? Maybe more.
2: The latest estimate for the new hospital is $85 million, which would be paid for by government grants. Schwartz says he wants to build bridges and promote transparency.
1: I think with some respectful and open communication people won't think that it's a smoke and mirrors deal
2: he says part of that could look like scheduling important informational meetings and elections around the fishing season keeping fishermen more involved in the conversation
1: they've hired a guy to build a new hospital what well, where you been well i've been fishing six seven eight months you know well, holy smokes uh, uh, can we have any input on this right and what's wrong with our other hospital well they say it's Broke down and the repairs would be too much. Well, who made that decision, right?
2: Stanton Greger also wants to use his voice in the assembly to support the local fishing industry, which took a big hit this year with low prices and a lawsuit that almost stopped the troll fishing season.
3: You know, the fishing industry is the economic engine of our community, and as always, I want to support that any way we can as an assembly. I mean, nothing from an assembly level. Obviously, I'm bummed that the fishing price has been so low for chums here towards the end, and amongst other things, the struggles of the fishing industry.
2: You can hear both of these candidates answer community questions at the Borough Assembly Candidate Forum on Thursday, September 21st. Rick Perkins is also running for Borough Assembly, and he declined to be interviewed. In Petersburg, I'm Shelby
0: Herbert. And Jeff Mucci is the fourth candidate for Assembly. KFSK aired a profile on him on August 31st, which you can find on our news archives at kfsk.org. Some areas in Alaska have entirely wild salmon runs. There's also more than two dozen hatcheries around the state. Two of these facilities are based in Kodiak, including one near the mouth of Pillar Creek, just outside of town. Brian Venwa tur- toured the facility and has this story.
4: The Pillar Creek Hatchery constantly has water running as young fish swim through runways, which are long tanks that simulate a small creek. It all starts with egg takes. Hatchery staff and volunteers take four-wheelers or fly out to remote lakes to catch fish that are close to spawning. Eggs are then brought to the hatchery's indoor facilities. Tina Fairbanks is the executive director of the Kodiak Regional Aquaculture Association, which operates the hatchery. The summer marks 40 years for the organization. Fairbanks says hatchery eggs have a much higher survival rate than wild spawners.
0: At the hatchery
2: level, if we see 20% mortality, we're upset. You know, at Pillar Creek Hatchery, a lot of times they'll have 90% survival. From the time that they're taken as eggs until the time that they uh, are ponded as fry and start rearing here at the hatchery.
4: She says at best, only about a fifth of wild eggs make it to that stage. James Turman, who also goes by Hawk, is the Pillar Creek Hatchery Manager. He says while it's normal for anadromous fish returns to vary, the facility's main goal is to support fishers when runs are low.
5: It's all about bringing that bottom end of the boom bust up is when it's booming, no one cares about what we do. There's fish everywhere. It's kind of disregarded. But when there's not enough fish, like, for example, uh, the buskin was closed down for reds.
4: That means in a big run year, hatcheries produce only a small percentage of returns. But hatchery fish could make up half of a fishery in the single year. The Pillar Creek facility currently has sockeye, coho, chinook, and even rainbow trout. And there's protocols to maximize their survival rate. For example, staff constantly disinfect before interacting with fish.
5: So If something does happen, then it's isolated to one small portion. And it's very easy, because of our protocols, to figure out where the contamination came from. So we have foot baths all over the place. Um, All the coolers you see on the ground, those are full of uh, medical-grade disinfectant.
4: For most folks, these fish are nearly indistinguishable from fully wild ones. Salmon are marked by their otoliths. That's a small bone in their heads that shows their growth over a lifetime. Every hatchery gets assigned their own marks by a lab in Juno. Most facilities mark otoliths by heating or cooling the water that runs over eggs, but Terman says Kodiak staff mark their fish a little differently.
5: We actually figured out how to do it without any additional um, utility. Mm-hmm. So here we do what's called dry marking. It's... A little scary the first time you do it, you actually drain the water off of your eggs.
4: Eggs can be dry for up to 24 hours and it leaves dark lines on the grown fish's otolith. Once grown, fish are released in various creeks and lakes around the archipelago and mingle with their feral counterparts before swimming to the ocean. Fairbanks with the Regional Aquaculture Association says while numbers won't be finalized until winter, they've already doubled their forecasted return for this year. In Kodiak, I'm Brian Venwa.
0: A dead humpback whale was spotted floating in the water about 30 miles south of Sitka on September 6th. Now researchers are hoping it will wash ashore so that they can examine it. Mandy Keo is a marine mammal stranding coordinator with NOAA Fisheries in Juneau. She says they received word from the Coast Guard that the whale was fairly decomposed and floating near Whale Bay last week. So it's not completely uncommon to have humpback whales strand or floating in the water. But what we do try to do is collect as much information about those events as possible and then try to examine the carcass if we can. In late August, NOAA opened an investigation after a humpback whale calf was found dead near Juno of an apparent vessel strike. Keo says without an examination, she can't speculate the cause of this whale's death, but initial video footage has given researcher, researchers a bit of information.
2: It looks to be intact, floating belly up. Sometimes from photos and videos, we can tell whether or not it's a killer whale predation. They seem to target certain areas of the whale, like the tongue and the jaw. Um, That part looked intact to me, but I couldn't see the full animal. So without actually doing a postmortem examination, we don't know what the cause of death is. At least there was nothing obviously wrong.
0: Keo says right now the floating whale is inaccessible to researchers, but local whale biologist Dr. Lauren Wild is on the case and if the whale washes up on shore in an accessible area, she'll perform a post-mortem examination on it. Keo hopes that if any boaters see the whale or any stranded marine mammals, they'll call NOAA's 24-hour hotline at 877-925-7773. A remote live streaming camera helped locate and rescue a hiker in the Katmai National Park last week. Viewers watching a live web camera stream located on Katmai's Dumpling Mountain saw a lone hiker signaling for help. The camera, one of seven bear cams set up around the park, lets people from around the world see Katmai's famous brown bears from June to October. The mountain is near Brook Falls, one of the most popular bear viewing areas. According to a statement from park officials, the hiker was caught in stormy, low visibility conditions. The live stream viewers and staff from Explore.org, the camera company that partners with the park, notified park rangers. A search and rescue team reached the hiker a few hours later and brought him to safety. The hiker was unharmed. Explore.org said in a statement that after park rangers began to coordinate a search and rescue effort, staff disconnected the web camera's public feed but continued to monitor and share information with National Park Service staff. For KFSK, I'm Hannah Floor.